Psychopath. A mentally unstable person. Especially a person having an egocentric and antisocial personality marked by a lack of remorse for one's actions. An absence of empathy for others. And often criminal tendencies. A story I will share with you this Tuesday. Shh! Don't move. Don't make a sound. The sound of your very own breath starts to get heavy and you can feel your pulse beating through your chest and the sweat, the sweat begins to form on your brows. Yet it's so dark and so cold. Am I going to die? And suddenly you hear something behind you. You turn around and you see nothing. But it's so black and dark. And then you hear The sound of someone pulling the trigger. Is that a gun? Lights out. The sounds of grinding bones seeping into the dark night for anyone is too far to hear. The smell of burning flesh tickles the air but no one around is close enough to smell it. The footsteps through the graveyards go unnoticed, for there isn't anyone close enough to see it. Will it all ever end? This is the story of the Plainville Butcher, Ed Gein. Tuesdays with Trisha, Season 2, Episode 2. So welcome to Plainville, Wisconsin for this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the coolest place on earth. And if you are a repeat basic bitch, welcome back and my heart is with you. So I wanted to start this year out with an episode that was actually close to me, like as like in person. So that's actually why I covered the first episode as Phil and Bryn Hartman. But I also found myself thinking that I haven't focused on stories that actually made me take such a huge interest into true crime to begin with. So I may have talked about notorious killers and passing talk, but I haven't actually dove in. And so, of course, recently I was watching the new Netflix uh, documentary about the infamous Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. And honestly, you guys, during the episode, I found myself saying a lot of like, oh, my God, yeah, I totally forgot about that. And then it kind of got me thinking about all of you. I wonder how many of my listeners actually even know who Richard Ramirez is, or Eileen Warnos, or Ted Bundy, or Lizzie Borden. So these 
people, unfortunately, are the people all behind it. And even if you are so-called proclaimed at-home detective like me, or maybe you're like new to true crime and barely just diving in, like regardless, I think all of you guys as my listeners need to know about the notorious killers that have given true crime definitions an actual face. Like, have you guys honestly ever been sitting there watching like a horror movie and you go, wow, I wonder what sicko like wrote this script, thought of all of this. Well, honestly, you guys, most of the time, these stories come from actually real life horror stories. They come from real life events and people. And these are the people that got me interested in true crime. The stories that make your jaw drop and the stories that still make me look over my shoulder when I'm out late at night. So today, y'all, we're going to talk about a story that inspired such movies as Psycho, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Silence of the Lambs. Now, before we dive in, I have to introduce my guest for this week. Uh, She was brave enough to sit in with her mom here and record this episode. Uh, She has not heard the story that we're going to talk about. So everybody, welcome to the show. My daughter, Callie. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) You're so giggly. (laughs) Well, we're so close to each other, you know, you got to be gotta be close by the microphone (laughs) so um you don't know what we're gonna talk about today right I do not you I know that you have like probably well you've probably like seen me researching you know you see all like yeah I see all the search histories (laughs) (laughs) or you know the stuff that I'm writing or reading or whatever so I'm sure you've gotten somewhat of a hint of what's going on do you want to take like a guess uh, I think it's some um, psycho murderer who cuts up people's skins and turn it into lamps and rugs and stuff, because that's what I heard about on, a, oh. um, on like, a piece of paper. Oh, okay, yeah, so it, she does pay attention, you guys, so I guess we'll get into this because we don't want you to do any spoiler alerts here. What did I say about the face then? <laughs> So, we'll be back to start the story. Yeah. Edward Theodore Gein was born on August 27th, 1906. Oh, wow. I I know. Long time ago, huh? Mm, Yeah. Uh, In La Crosse County, Wisconsin, to Georgia and Augusta Gein. Augusta Gein. Augusta. Um, He had an older brother, and his name was Henry. Now, when I went and Googled Plainville, Wisconsin, I pretty much found, like, absolutely nothing on there except for, like, some Zillow listings. Well, it's okay. It's a more smaller, it's a smaller town. So Wikipedia says that it's just north of Dells, Wisconsin, and it runs along Highway State 13. Now, Callie, I tell this to my listeners because sometimes people like to have visuals Mm -hmm. so they can go and kind of look at a map. When I'm talking about this oh, that's now, funny. now I didn't know what 
Dells, Wisconsin was. So, uh, but it kept mentioning it. So I figured that maybe it was that something. Had a really big part of it. Maybe, well, maybe it was like a bigger town. So, and so when I Googled it, it actually was. Oh. And so I guess Dells, Wisconsin, for all my listeners, is known for their actual like glacier carved sandstone formations which is like super cool, like how they have it. And they also have an array of theme parks. So they have Noah's Ark and Mount Olympus water parks. And then they're also known for Mirror Lake, which is a state park known for its camping and hiking. That reminds me of Lazy River in a way. I don't know why. Yeah, because I mean, you know, Lazy River is supposed to go, I guess, through... Yeah, you almost whacked me in the face with a grenade. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yes, so that's what the closest place to Plainville is. So, back in Plainville, um, Augusta, which is Ed's mother, Mm -hmm. mainly was the one that raised the two boys on her own. And this was because George, Ed's father, was actually an alcoholic. Oh, that's... So George, I guess, had various jobs around the town. He was an insurance salesman and then like a carpenter. And at one point it looked like he was doing well and even owned a grocery shop um, that was there, was in the town. But it looks like it soon fizzled out. um, And eventually the family ended up buying in Plainville. Um, So they ended up moving there and they bought like a family home is what they called it and it was on a 155 acre farm i know big huh and they and that would be known as the permanent gene family home home meaning that they never moved from there so augusta though was actually known for was actually known for being a very like religious woman It was said that she was more of like a fervent Lutheran, as she had been called. So she would preach to the young boys about how bad lust, death, murder, and divine retribution was. And pretty much, besides attending school, the boys actually hardly ever left the farm. Oh, wow. And Augusta had strict rules and firm beliefs. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, not to the point where you're keeping your kids isolated, but she also, because of her firm rules and strict beliefs, she didn't want um, any of them to have any like outside influences. So she often scolded the boys for making friends Mm -hmm. and because they wanted to make friends and stuff, she in turn would kind of like keep them reclused on the farm. I made friends with the ghost in my corner of the room. No, that doesn't apply to this. Okay. The boys often stayed home and Bible study with their mother was a mandatory and they often were forced to do chores around the farm. And then you have to realize they were all dealing with like an angry alcoholic father and an increasingly violent and angry mother. So this... You know, made it stressful for the boys, I'm sure. Well, yeah. That's right. It's CBD Store, located on 31801 Mission Trail in Lake Elsinore, California. 
This is Inland Empire's only premium CBD store. You guys, seriously, they have CBD-infused water, oils, tinctures, gummies, roll-ons, bath bombs, scrubs, lotions, so much more. You have to go check it out for your one-stop CBD shop. It's CBD store in Lake Elstar, California. So now on April 1st, this is 1940 now. 1940. It's a long time ago. It was. George Gein, which is the father, actually has a heart attack and dies. What? Yes. So he now left Henry and Ed to kind of tend to the farm because they had to take care of the farm and their mother, Augusta. Mm -hmm. So it is said that the boys started doing odd jobs around the town to help with the farm expenses. And actually, the brothers were generally viewed as like honest and reliable, you know, assets to the community, which is which is cool. Um, Ed also took an interest in babysitting which I thought was odd. Boys don't babysit, especially back in the 40s. Or at least I didn't yeah. think so, but I, I don't know. Right. But he would babysit for local neighbors. And it is said that he actually seemed to relate better with the children than he did adults. So I guess that's maybe why Ed took more of an interest in that. Yeah. It says that his brother Henry eventually started dating and this caused an actual rift between the brothers because often Henry would tease Ed about how Ed was obsessed with their mother, Augusta. Did did dad and I ever show you, um, did your father and I ever show you Psycho, the movie Psycho? With Norman Bates. Uh, I mean, if I've seen House of a Thousand Corpses, then I think I've seen that. Well, yeah, it's kind of along the same weird lines. But anyways, <laughs> like, that that's a movie. It's a horror movie that's a, about a boy who's kind of, like, obsessed with his mother. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Anyways. <laughs> so, um, we won't get into it too much. Yeah, <laughs> um, So, Henry, so if you haven't seen the movie Psycho, then go watch it after this episode because it relates to this episode. So, anyways... Um, Henry would tease his brother a lot about his obsession with his mother and kind of would be like, why aren't you dating like I am? Um, but Henry on his own was starting to date women. And one of the women that he started to date was actually a divorcee with two kids. And he like wanted to move in with her. So, Yeah, well, maybe not red flag for him, but for the mother, Augusta, apparently, you know, that was a no-no for her. Or I can say player flag. No, he's not a a player. I was talking about the girl. Oh, (laughs) oh my goodness. Anyways, um, this apparently, so, so Augusta got mad that Henry was trying to date this girl and this in turn made Henry mad at his mother, you know, he, and so Henry would start to like pick 
on his mother and he would lash out at Ed and make fun of Ed for like having a good relationship with her. And he spoke really mean of their mom, which actually ended up hurting Ed's feelings in return. Um, He ended up being pretty upset at his brother for like talking about their mother like that. So fast forward to about four more years We go to May 16th, which is 1944, when Henry and Ed were burning away a marsh vegetation on their property. So they had to go in there and, like, burn out the property. What do you mean by that? Like, take out, like, parts of it or, like, actually burn it with fire? No, like, actually burn it with, like, like fire. But you have to to make sure you control it, you know, so that way it doesn't get, like, out of control because you don't want to burn your entire farm down. Yeah. Well, it looks like in this sense, it got like out of control. So local firefighters ended up coming and by evening time, it looks like they got the fire out. So the brothers kind of like. Was like the house and like the farm were in it? Or was it like. No, the house and the house and the farm were fine. It was oh. just it got a little out of hand in another area. Oh. But the weird thing was, was that after all the fire was put out, mm-hmm. Henry went missing. And Ed was like, he reported his brother missing. So then they, it looks like they sent out a search party and they eventually found Henry who was lying face down and he was dead. How? Did he get burned? Well, it appeared that he had actually been dead for some time because, right. Like before the fire? That's what they think. Either he, it was, well, it couldn't have been before the fire because he's the one that, he helped his brother obviously start the fire, but, or, or so they think. I mean, they have to just go by what Ed said. It looks like at this point, but it looks like the coroner actually ruled it as heart failure because his body was uninjured and it wasn't burnt. So this now left Ed and Augusta alone. And it looks like shortly after Henry died, Augusta ends up having like a paralyzing stroke. Does that lead her to death as well? Well, it leads Ed to take care of his mother for a while. And you're right. On December 29th, about a year later, 1945, Augusta dies. I feel bad for poor Ed. So, well, Ed obviously was really sad about this, too, because he felt absolutely alone in the world. He was the one who was, like, the the really close one? Yes, he was the one that was, like, basically kind of, I mean, maybe described as, like, he was in love with his mother. Kind of like a weird, weird, unhealthy relationship there. Oh, So obviously, naturally, if somebody you love like that much, you know, I mean, you know how much I, you know, we love our own parents and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if he loves her even more like that, he obviously was probably pretty devastated when she died. Um, Ed managed, it looked like somehow, too, though, to continue to keep working. He was doing odd jobs around the town. Um, But it was also said that Ed had boarded up like every room that his mother had used in the house. So in the farmhouse, he decided to board up the upstairs, the upstairs, so she used it up there, the downstairs parlor in the living room, and he wanted to leave them untouched and pristine. 
and it looks like the rest of the house became pretty disgusting and Ed moved into a small room next to the kitchen and spent his days alone in the house reading pulp magazines and reading what stories are, what that pulp mag- magazines? um so glad that you asked because pulp magazines are like um they were kind of like the racing magazines back oh, in the day like the car racing um yeah it had like a lot of like different you know talked about like different off subjects you know something you know normally in magazines it's about like beauty and and glamour and things that they're advertising and pulp magazines kind of focused on like different well I don't I don't know if Vogue was even back then was it I have no idea um so anyways he though actually liked stories that focused on the Nazis and cannibalism okay that red flag red red flag (laughs) yeah big red flag so his handyman work uh, soon wasn't enough, though, to keep his farm, like, stable. And I read somewhere in 1951, he got, like, a farm subsidy from the federal government. So it's where the, they give you, like, a loan to where they give you money um, for, so that way. Well, wouldn't that be good? Well, yeah, because he was able to keep the farm, and it looks like he also sold, like, 80 acres of the farm because that 80 acres was actually supposed to go to his brother Henry, but his brother Henry died. Um, And then it also looks like he picked up a job working for the local rail crew, which was between 1946 and 1956. So he worked, like, 10 years at that spot. But all the while, Ed was a lonely recluse. And no one ever really knew what he was doing on that farm all by himself. Uh, I don't want to (laughs) know. So, pre-warning for anyone um, who doesn't want to hear gruesome details that is that's coming next so you can plug your ears i guess at any time child if you would like to oh uh but okay you fully invested in this episode i am free (laughs) (laughs) so ed gein became known as the plainville butcher on november 16th 1957. Oh, that's going to go well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, how do I keep my concentration with this, you know? Um, how do you keep your concentration at all when I'm in the room? <laughs> I, I know. It's, it's a miracle. Oh, so, okay. On the morning of this day, a resident in town reported seeing a pickup truck around 9.30 a.m. at the local hardware store. And the truck was oddly driven to the back of the store. Oh, of course. (laughs) Nothing else was reported except for the store owner, Bernice Warden, was now missing. Now, during this time, the hardware store was actually, was usually slow. It was considered deer hunting season around the area. So it wasn't weird that very few customers came in in and out throughout the day. Some of them never turn out at all. Uh, Yeah, probably. Or they were just out deer hunting. So I guess that's why when I read that around 5 p.m. the same day, Bernice's son 
who just so happened to be the local deputy sheriff. His name was Frank. Well, Frank went to go check on his mother for the evening, and when he entered the store, he noticed that the cash register had been left open and there were bloodstains on the floor. And the one thing that also stood out to Frank as he tried to figure out what the hell happened to his mother was a store receipt that his mother had done that very morning. The customer's name was Ed Gein, and he was purchasing a gallon of antifreeze that he ordered the day before. What's antifreeze? Uh, for its coolant stuff. Oh, stuff that, like, cools your drinks and stuff? Yeah. It's, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't cool your drinks. Um, it's for, like, a car or um, oh. an air conditioner, I so think. So you, like, put that in there? And I, it, like, I'm pretty sure down. that's what it is. Yes, it, it's one of the ingredients they need. Like, so. just in case, like, your, um, uh, uh, just in case your air conditioning doesn't work? Yes. So, but people use it for, yeah, so I don't, it doesn't say, like, why he was, like, purchasing the antifreeze. Um, One can only guess after you hear all this. So he, but the reason why this took out was because he was the last known person to be in contact with Bernice. So naturally, everyone was like, okay, well, if she was writing out this receipt to Ed, to Ed, we got to figure out where this Ed guy is. So the sheriff's actually tracked down Ed, and he's at the Plainville grocery store, and they arrested him on suspicion of the disappearance of Bernice Warden. So they took him down to the station and started to question him. Well, while they were questioning him or during this time, the sheriff's department also decides to make a visit out to the Gein family farm. And what they find inside was something right out of a horror film. Okay. But this was no horror film, my dear. This is real life. (laughs) So the sheriffs first entered the shed that was on the farm. Inside, they discovered the decapitated body of Bernice Warden. She had been strung upside down and had a crowbar attached to the feet, her feet holding her up. Her hands were tied with ropes around her wrist, and her torso had been what they say, dressed out like a deer. So she was completely gutted. So it was all just like bones. It was all just like, bleh, like out of like her body. She also had been shot with a twenty-two caliber rifle, and all the mutilations that I described above that had been done to her after she was already dead. So it looks like he shot her and then decided to start butchering her body. Now, when they entered the home, they noticed the boarded up rooms. So those rooms had been left untouched and they were pristine after all those years. Probably a lot of dust on him. But the rest of the house was in complete squalor. So... This is probably some of the most disturbing stuff that I've ever heard about and read. So bear with me, child and (laughs) listeners, as we go through a list of everything they found in the Gein family home. This is a great bedtime story, you know that? (laughs) So they found whole human bones and fragments. 
a waste basket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on Ed's bedpost. Okay. Gross. That's too much. Female skulls with some having like the tops sawn off of it. He made bowls out of human skulls. There was a torse, there was a corset, you know, one of the, one of the, the tight, you know, bust things that women wear made from female torso skin. And it was from the shoulders to the waist. Okay. He had leggings made of human skin. Okay. He had masks made from the skin of females' heads. What kind of mask? Like COVID masks? No, not like a full facial mask. Mary Hogan's face, which we'll talk about her, um, her mask was in a paper bag, so he like skinned off her entire face. Mary Hogan's skull was in a box, and Bernice Warden's entire head was in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart was also in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove. What's the difference between a stove and a potbelly stove? Uh, I don't, I don't know. They're both stoves. One's, one's portable, potbelly, I don't know. There was nine vulva in a shoebox. Don't ask me what those are. You, if you don't know, we'll find out later. A young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females predicted to be about 15 years old. A belt made of human nipples. Four noses. A pair of lips on the window shade drawstring. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face and fingernails from female victims. I got it. Oh, yep. See, that's where you must have read that. Uh Now, all these findings were photographed by the state crime lab, and then they were carefully disposed of after that. They got rid of them right away. Investigators obviously realized at this point that they were dealing with a madman. Oh, real madman. When Ed was actually questioned by investigators, he said that between the years of 1947 and 1952, he made nightly visits to the local cemetery and began robbing the graves. He claimed that he did something like 40 graves, and he admitted, too, that sometimes while he was robbing the graves, like, he would, like, all of a sudden realize, like, where he was at, and he would either, like, stop what he's doing and leave, or by the other time he, like, came to, he already had what he had had from the grave and was at home. So he just continued to do that. That's Um, gruesome. It looks like he also began fixating while digging up graves of middle-aged women. So he went and specifically looked for women who had died probably around the same time as his mother and dug up those graves. Oh, that's sick. To try and, like, somehow put his, like, mother together in some way. Ed eventually admitted to stealing from nine different graves, and he ended up leading investigators to the locations, and they were able to actually corroborate his story because they found empty graves. One of the graves had, like, a pry bar um, that looked like it had, you know, just as Gein had described. And Ed also stated that at some point that he wanted to make a skin suit of his mother so he could literally crawl into her skin. 
Okay, this is now all. Mm-mm. Um, this is you can close your ears for this one. But when asked if he would have sex with these bodies, he said that they actually smelled too bad. Um, but the man was clearly obsessed with trying to recreate his dead mother. Um, it looks like Ed admitted to killing tavern owner Mary Hogan, and she actually went missing in 1954. So when they found her, um, obviously face, skin to face, they were able to solve that. And they also suspected that uh, Ed had involvement of a missing girl in 1953 by the name of Evelyn Hartley, who was a known um, around the town as like a babysitter. And we know Ed would know her because he used to babysit. So um, it is also said that it's suspected that over the years that Ed was involved to be in way more killings, but they could never piece it all together um, because they found a bunch of body parts, but they couldn't piece all of the body parts with everyone. So they definitely, they definitely know there's people out there that have gone um, unnamed. And then during his questioning process, process, it looks like Sheriff Art Shaley um, reported that he lost his cool while speaking to Gein. So it looks like probably while Ed was confessing all of this, he got so upset and so mad that he like smashed, that he like smashed, um, like he smashed Ed's head into like the wall and stuff like that. Cause he got like so upset <laughs> listening to him, you know, confess all of this stuff. Um, which though is not a good thing though, that that investigator did that because it made Ed's initial confession inadmissible in court because the what does that mean? inadmissible means that they can't use it in court. So all this stuff that so he's confessing, gruesome. Yeah, all this stuff that he's confessing to, he couldn't use because the sheriff lost his cool and ended up hurting Ed, and you can't do that. And it's it's super damning in, like, a murder conviction case when you're trying to get this. So, um, you know, it's just, it's crazy how the justice system works, and, you know, even though you have, like, clearly this man confessing to all these murders, um... You, you still can somehow screw it up and they could still somehow possibly get away with this, which he didn't. Um, but it looks like this poor sheriff that took on this, you know, so much, I think, um, it was said eventually that the sheriff was so traumatized by the horror of the crimes that he too fell victim of Ed Gein and he ended up dying of heart failure at the age of 43. A lot of people suspected that he had a really... No, no. Talking about the sheriff. That was the sheriff that smashed his head in. He he died early at a young age because he... At first when you were saying that, I thought thought Ed Gein did that to the sheriff. Oh, to the sheriff. No, no, no. The sheriff did it to him because, I mean, they wouldn't do that. that Yeah, so so anyways, that sheriff ended up dying at a younger age. You know, 43 is still really young to die at. Is that dad's age or is he younger than that? Uh, okay, we're going off topic. He's that's his age. I don't know why it took me so long to like figure <laughs> figure that out. Anyways, <laughs> on November twenty first, nineteen fifty seven, 
Ed Gein was arraigned on only one count for first-degree murder of Bernice Warden. So even though he killed all those people, they only were going to charge him for this one murder. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity and found mentally incompetent to stand trial and was sent to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. Like, they couldn't even put him in a jail for that. Like, he was actually, like, insane. Like, sociopath insane. Well, like, yeah, like, way more beyond that. Um, Now known today as Dodge Correctional Institute, it is a maximum security facility. But eventually he was transferred to Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. And it looks like um, about... Let's see, it was 1957, so about 10 years later, 1968, 10, 11 years later, doctors actually determined that Gein was actually fit to stand trial. So now they put him back on trial on November 7th, 1968, and this trial lasts no more than one week. No jury was actually present at the trial. It was actually only ruled by a single trial judge, and his name was Robert Uh, H. Golmar and it looks like a psychiatrist testified in the trial that he was unsure if Ed like a therapist right yes Uh. Um, but works like in like a hospital and stuff Oh. and works with yeah and therapists can well I guess psychiatrists work with like mentally therapists can be for all different same thing let's just move on okay Um, so it is said that he, that the psychiatrist actually testified and said he was unsure if Ed actually meant to kill Bernice or if it was an an accident. So Ed claims that he was actually looking at a gun in the store and it was loaded and the gun went off and then he like can't remember anything after that. Judge Golmar ruled not guilty by reason of insanity. So he still thought Ed was pretty crazy at this point, and he was ordered to spend the rest of his life in a mental hospital. The trial judge wrote that due to prohibitive cost, Gein was only tried for one murder. So there's your answer. So it cost too much, I guess. But he did admit to killing Mary Hogan. So... It looks like costs were an issue, and so they convicted him on that, but they, again, they can, he said he was still too insane. Oh. So in March of 1958, the Gein family farm was set to be auctioned and possibly turned into a tourist attraction, but on March 20th, the farm and house were destroyed by a nearby fire, supposedly. So most people suspected arson, but nobody really took the time to look actually further into it. And when Gein was told about that his house had perished, he had responded by saying, just as well. Gein also had a 1949 Ford sedan that was sold at auction for $760. Sedan kind of car, right? Yeah, cord, car. What is it? I don't know, girl. You're asking me about 1949 Ford sedan. I don't know what that thing looks like. Let's look this up really quickly. Let's see. Oh, yeah. It's like a car. Oh, it's a cool looking car. Oh, yeah. 
It is. I rec- oh, that looks like the car from uh, Cars, La- the doctor guy. You know, like the guy that helped. Uh... Oh, I don't remember. Okay, anyways. can we, So, anyways. So, a Ford sedan. That's what he had. They sold it at auction for $760, which on today's dollar is known as $6,700. And it looks like, guess who bought, guess who bought his car? It was a carnival sideshow operator and his name was Bunny Gibbons. Okay. Bunny charged carnival goers 25 cents admission to see it. So you could go to the carnival and you could pay 25 cents to see the famous Ed Gein's That is car. very much adequate. So Ed Gein died in Mendota Mental Institute due to respiratory failure from secondary lung cancer on July 26, 1984, at the age of 77. He was buried at Plainville Cemetery, and over the years, souvenir seekers took pieces of his gravestone, actually. So finally, in 2000, the whole stone was stolen and later recovered in June of 2001, somewhere near Seattle, it looks like, and eventually Wisconsin sheriffs got it back, and it now remains with the Wisconsin Sheriff's Department, and the grave is now unmarked. Obviously, y'all know that this man was crazy vicious. He was completely insane and downright disgusting. You can see now where most of those screenwriters got their ideas from, from Bill the Butcher, how he used the human skin in Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal Lecter, who ate body parts. Then Leatherface's inspiration for the human masks and even Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho brings the whole story of how obsessive Ed Gein was with his mother, Augusta. Even his own brother knew something wasn't right. And one of the more newer movies that brings me back to this case would be most known as Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, which you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, which just depicts the very essence of, I think, what the police felt when they entered the Gein family farm. Oh, my God. You know, remember the house, the, the house and House of a Thousand Corpses? Yeah, like, I, it, it's crazy. And then the farm represents the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It gives you that empty feeling that there's literally nowhere to run or go. Um... Totally brings me back to like the end of the movie where the girl's like running and running and running. She's getting more and more tired. And then finally she sees the truck and jumps into the truck and leather leather face is chasing her with the chainsaw afterwards. But that girl got away and none of Ed Gein's victims were saved. Everyone died and never made it back to their loved ones. You guys, this man is truly a scary human being. And don't be fooled if you don't think that there isn't anyone out there like him. Because they are here. To this day, there's probably someone crazy like that. And you have no idea who in the heck that could be. Definitely. They could be hiding and waiting for someone to just be alone and the perfect opportunity to pounce. So beware, be very aware. 
And I want to thank you, daughter, for indulging me and listening to the episode. I hope you get sweet dreams tonight. And now you know about the Plainville butcher, Ed Gein. And until next time, see you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha. Now don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. And also, make sure you wash your hands and keep your mask on, although it's 2021. And remember, check out Tuesdays with Trisha on Instagram. And we We love love our our five-star Apple Apple reviews. reviews. (laughs) Yay!